And welcome to Barn Banter, the podcast for children's musicians by a children's musician. That's me, Cowboy Andy. Hey, we're talking about business. We're talking about maybe you have an LLC for your for your band or your act. You, you've got Excel spreadsheets and you've got budgets and you've got all these things. But do you have insurance? Do you need insurance? Well, today we decided that we would bring in an expert on insurance to talk to us about that. And so it's my honor to welcome Toby Hansen to the Barn Banter. Hey, Toby, how you doing? Good, good. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. Okay, so who are you and what do you do? Um, so I'm a, an insurance agent. I have an insurance agency. We specialize in small commercial business. So the majority of our clients are not to put too bad of a pun on it, but uh, one-man band operations. Yeah. <laughs> a lot nice, of nice. <laughs> a lot of single-person businesses, or maybe they have one to two uh, customers, or I mean, excuse me, more. Hopefully, more than one or two customers, one or two employees. Uh, we do a lot of entertainment insurance. Uh, just the nature of where we're located here in uh, Missoula, Montana, and we've gotten into film production, and so we. We deal a lot with arts and entertainment, so it's been one of our specialties. Oh, right on. And so you are, is it, you would be considered a, a broker because you don't actually work with any one specific insurance company, is that correct? Yeah, Andy, you're absolutely correct. We're, we're what would be considered a broker. Uh, we work through approximately 100 markets when it comes to commercial insurance. Uh, we write, everyone's heard of Lloyd's of London uh, some of our riskier types of business, but actually people don't realize Lloyd's actually does a lot of very common and they're very price competitive on a lot of insurance programs. So we write with everyone from Hartford, which you've heard of, or a Travelers, to companies like Lloyd's of London or some companies like One Beacon specialized specifically in uh, entertainment. Oh, cool. So this is perfect because as a, a musician... There's different levels in my business as a as a performer, as a recording artist. Uh, you know, I have a home studio, so there's different things that I do. And I'm, I was hoping today that we could just sort of go through each of those different areas, and you could let me know what what insurance would be appropriate, what as a small business and as an artist I would need to kind of be aware of and look out for. No, absolutely. Let's get her rolling. Okay, cool. So let's say that I am just a one-man band, and I go and I play libraries, small school events, things like that, where it's just me, and I go in to perform for families and children. So I'm driving, you know, 50 to 100 miles to get to different gigs and things like that. What would be some of the overall insurance needs that I might have? Yeah, no, absolutely, Andy. So what I always um, tell our musician um, clients or people in the entertainment industry is, to me, there's really three distinct parts when you look at this type of insurance for that type uh, for the career like this, and that is there's coverages you need while you're doing nothing. <laughs> so those typically are property coverages, right? Because you want to make sure that while your um, musical instruments or your amps or all the other uh, gear that's associated with your type of act are stored at your house, 
or maybe stored in an office somewhere that they're covered. Uh, what people don't realize, and this can be one of the larger exposures to uh, people in the entertainment business, is that on almost literally 99% of all homeowners policies, if you have personal belongings in your house that are used in the course of business, those are excluded from your policies. So a lot of times people don't realize that. Anybody that plays the guitar knows not unusual to have a guitar worth more than $1,000. Amps and equipment, easily three to $4,000 sitting there. You know, And it's always surprising when we sit down with a customer and they look back at all the gear they've acquired to um, do their gig, even if it's a part-time or even if it's a hobby of theirs. You know, you can have easily five to $10,000 of accumulation there. And so that's our first item of business that we like to go over with our customers and say, hey, just want to make you aware, look at this, because this is, this is really an important asset that you've got there. The number two item is hmm. how do you get from your office or your home to your gig? Most of the time, if it's a one-person operation, personal auto insurance is just fine. But the, there are some issues there to look at, and one of them is if it's a band with a multi-piece group and you have unrelated people who share driving duties, sometimes that necessitates picking up a commercial auto policy uh, to get from your office, your location, to wherever you're performing. So that's number two. Number three, then, is insurance to cover you for your performance. And so... I think the example you gave of being in the schools is a great one because more and more we find that our uh, clients are being required to provide proof of insurance to go in and perform at, say, a school. That's a perfect example because we have that request a lot or any type of public venue or even if you're going to perform at, say, a senior citizen center or a preschool or a daycare, people are just becoming more insurance, I would say, if you want to call it savvy or aware, and they realize, hey, even if Cowboy Andy's coming in here, if he drops a mic stand on one of our kids, he didn't mean to, but we've got, you know, there's some liability there. So those are the three areas that our people really look at when we're helping them on this type of insurance. Okay, well, let's dig into each of those things. And let's start back. at the, So it seems like there's the inventory, which is the stuff we own, there's transportation, and then there's the performances. And those were the three big Correct. buckets that we were talking about so Correct. far. Okay. So let's get into the inventory thing. I didn't know that about the homeowner's insurance. And I assume that people think, well, someone's going to break in and steal all my stuff. That should be covered under my homeowner's insurance. But you're saying if you're operating it as a business. Now, is that a formal business? Like if you actually have a LLC or an, or something like that? Is that what defines it? Or if you're just kind of doing it on the side and reporting it as personal income tax, you know, without a formal corporation? That's a very good question. And that's why I always tell my customers, hey, always be concerned when an agent tells you, gives you a definitive answer. Absolutely, positively never, right? Because I think that's a very dangerous answer mm. to give your customers. Point being, there's a hundred different flavors of homeowners policies. So really the intelligent answer there is to your client, what we would always say, if you don't have your homeowners with us, you need to call up your homeowners agent and ask them that specific question. Mm. I have this gear in my house. Is it covered under my homeowners policy? And what we tell our customers, just make sure you document what the answer is 
ask them. It's always best to get that in the form of an email because if your agent tells you it's covered, it's covered. Mm. You don't have to worry about whether your policy says it's covered. It's the agent's job to know whether that type of risk is covered. So that is what that is the best advice I can give on that is just always check with your homeowner's agent. Ask him that. Um, your point being, does it need to be an official business or, you know, hey, I just do this. Sometimes I, you know, ask for donations. Sometimes I do it for free. Uh, that's the very dangerous issue there, or it's an uncertain issue, simply because, like so many things, that's up to the discretion of the company if they're adjusting a claim as to whether or not they're going to mm-hmm. pay or not pay. And that's one of those gray areas where it's <laughs> we've had customers end up in that situation simply because in their correspondence with the claims person, they happen to... You know, they just happened to tell a person, man, this guitar meant so much to me because I use it at every one of my performances. Oh. And then the claims person says, well, what performance? And you're saying, well, I'm out there, you know, I'm out there three days a week playing in a country music band. And mm-hmm. the guy goes, well, well, then that's not covered because, you know, that's that's a tool. I mean, as far as the claims person is concerned, that might as well be a skill saw or a chop saw or a hammer that you're using your carpentry business. So oh, sure. that's what's so nasty about that little issue is that it really is in many cases up to the discretion of the company. Now, the good news there is some homeowners policies do have a business endorsement that you can add to them. Not many of them cover property. Most of those are covering things like home offices. But that is always a follow-up question that you should ask your homeowner's agent. So that's protecting your gear at home. Now, if I was going to come to you and I and I said, okay, I've got all this gear and I do this stuff and I want to cover, I want it covered. I do want it covered. What's the best way to document that? Like, what what would you say? Because part of the thing I worry about is uh, gear getting stolen. Correct. You know, either here at home or from the car at the gig or even at the gig, people walking off with a you know with my guitar. Yep. Absolutely. So what's the what's the basic basic information that you need about the inventory we carry to make sure that I can I can have it replaced? Well, the three basic items that you always want to try and have are just your make, model, and serial number. Now I know that's tough. Depends. Like guitars are a great example. Um, it depends on the guitar. Not all manufacturers provide serial numbers. In that case especially with technology progressing as it is, what we always tell our people is, look, if you don't do anything else, if you simply lay your belongings out or your inventory out on your floor and just take your camera and take pictures of all of them, videotape them with your um, camera, that actually goes quite a ways. Uh, Some companies, and this just depends on the companies, some companies will make uh, the customer fill out an inventory list. Uh, you, You list again, make model item, or make model and serial number and, and price, they're the value on it. I'll tell you what customers are not aware of, but insurance companies know very well, is that for every customer that might claim something they don't own, the next 10 customers forget half of what they own. So oh yeah, really in the customer's best interest to document what they have, because I have been there so many times on claims Customers have the claim. They think they remember what they had. You know, they're like, well, I had a mic stand. Well, then you forget, well, geez, I had the microphone taped to that mic stand, and I had the extension cord taped to that stand, or I 
you know, I had a three-way splitter on that. And so it's really all those little items sometimes that really there's more value there. So many times people discount how much they actually own. They, they'll they be like, oh, I've only got three, $4,000 maybe, I don't know. And then when they sit down in inventory, they're just, we forget about some of our purchases sometimes. And they come back and go, oh, well, geez, I really have more like five to $6,000 of items there. So the documentation is really important. It's it's probably the single biggest pain point when we're working with customers on getting their good, uh, property insured or inventory insured, but it really is to the benefit of the customer. And when it comes to those to that sort of inventory, what we're looking at, and, and please correct me if I'm wrong, because I really know very little about this, but I do know that over you know the 10 years that I've been performing and playing and kind of making a go of this, yeah, every every few weeks you're having to pick up something another guitar cable or a adapter or you know something and so the inventory does get pretty massive and it's easy to forget about that when we insure these things are we insuring we're not necessarily insuring um the retail costs that we spent because that's that's for the irs <laughs> you know it's for our tax returns what we spent right. but this is replacement cost is that correct absolutely i mean you want you know, your best plan is to ensure that for whatever you need, whatever it's going to cost you to replace it. Because the most basic concept that lies at the heart of all property insurance is insurance on a loss should put you back to where you were prior to the loss. So if, if what it's going to cost you to go out and grab that cord is $25, that's what you want to insure it for. Right. Uh, you just you don't want to short yourself on that. Now, one thing to keep in mind is that a lot of the insurance policies anymore have extra expense features built into them so that, say, a guitar, an amp, and some cords were stolen, and you have a, a performance the next weekend, there will, it will actually cover the extra cost if you go to, say, you're dealing with a local music dealer, and they're like, well, you know, it's going to be two weeks, and you're like, I've got to have that next week. You know, what would it cost us to fly that in overnight? And in many instances, your insurance policy will cover that extra cost. Oh, wow. But of course, you have to have that all documented ahead of time to make sure that that's included in what you're, in what you're scoping. Exactly. And the, right one on. thing, the one thing we should point out to people is that, you know, you don't have to inventory right down to the last guitar pick. Uh on our less expensive items, it's very common to say, hey, I have 10 cables. The 10 cables are worth $350. The companies, in most cases, will be just fine with that. They don't need a itemized listing of your, of your smaller items. The, the things they're very concerned with, and really they're concerned with it only so they can accurately and efficiently adjust your claim, is, you know, if we have a Gibson guitar, they want to know what Gibson guitar model is this. If we have a Marshall amp, what model of Marshall amp is this we have? And and mainly because it makes the, if we've defined what it is we're insuring, then we can, it makes it so much easier to come to an agreement on what that value is. Hmm. And so when you do those inventory lists, that's, that's how you want to look at it. We... In general, we don't suggest that people itemize anything under, say, a hundred dollars. Or, um, it, you know, if you you can you can group some items, like like I said earlier, 
cables or something like that. You can just group them into some listings. And so makes it, you know, a little less tedious for yourself. That's why uh, if you can take a video or pictures, that's what helps the customer because then you remember, oh, geez, I had a dozen cables. I didn't have five or six. I had that 100-foot cable that, you know, I've got to run at some performances because it's extra long to get it over or whatever. So that's just why visual, you know, a visual record of that is so important. I know for, for our band, we sometimes we put up a, you know, a GoPro and we film our performance and then we post it on YouTube and, you know, share it and things like that. Well, that would be just as good for us to be able to say, oh yeah, well, this is our, this is all the gear that we use when we play live. Look, there's the mixing board. There's the 10 microphone stands, you know, and you can just sort of say like, yep, this is the schematic and this is how it's all laid out. Yep, absolutely. Right on. All right. So just a little bit more on inventory. Let's say that I go to this gig and I drop my guitar and it breaks. Yeah. Is that covered? That entirely depends on the type of coverage that you purchased. There are different levels of coverage. Uh, and when I say different levels, there are different, they're called forms in the business, different forms that property coverage is written on. And so it would depend on which form you had. Uh, that would have to be one of the, the broader coverage forms that would cover something like damage. But you can, in most cases, purchase that, that coverage if you're worried about it. Because if it's an amp or like a PA speaker and it blows and you blow it out, you know, wild feedback and it blows the, the speaker out and you have to repair or probably replace it with the way that, they're, that they make PA equipment these days. Is that the same thing? You can get insurance to cover, you know, just I guess that would be wear and tear kind of in a way? Well, wear and tear is, is not covered under most policies. Um, again, notice I would never say never because there's policies I've never seen out there in 25 years that I'm not aware of that could cover that, but I've never run across those. However, there are certain coverages you can purchase to cover things such as electrical surges and things like that. One, one of the important issues here is that you want to make sure when you purchase that insurance that you're purchasing the insurance for your instruments and all your gear under something called an inland marine policy because if you purchase coverage for your property and it's business personal property coverage but it's not on an inland marine policy there will be coverage for that while it's at your place of business whether that's a home office or an office it'll be covered while it's at the performance but where it's not covered is while it's in transit between your place of business or your home office and your performance. And so many times when our customers bring up their concerns, I, I think one of the number one uh, things that so many, unfortunately, people have experienced is like theft out of a vehicle while they're eating at a cafe or they're staying overnight in a motel. And unfortunately, thieves ferret out the fact that those vans are, you know, a music group or they just know. And so, you know, I, I've pretty rare. I've found people that have been on the road for any length of time that haven't at least had something stolen from them. Um, but if it's not on an in, inland marine form, uh, you're not going to have that coverage while it's in transit. And that, to most of our customers, is very important to them to make sure it's covered while they're moving it. Because 
Yeah, it's also one of the most likely ways. We've probably paid as many claims over the years for uh, goods that have been damaged in a wreck, or uh, we live in the northern uh, climates where there's winter. I think you and I are experiencing it today as we speak. That's true. You know, we we had one five, six years ago where it was abandoned and uh, it was a big bus and it slid off the road. And even though the bus didn't sustain a lot of damage, uh, a fence post went through the storage door and took out a lot of their equipment. And so there was an instance where they had a claim through no fault of their own. Obviously, it was the bus driver that drove off the road. But that's why you want to make sure if you're worried about having your goods your equipment covered in transit that you get it on an inland marine policy. Holy cow, yeah. That's because that is the most vulnerable time, at least I think from a theft standpoint, when you have all of your gear in the same place, it's all in the trunk or the trailer or the back of the truck or wherever. And yeah, you know, you're driving to a gig and somebody rear ends you and your guitar's in the back. And yeah, you may be fine. It may be a soft bump, but boy, that can that can really wreck your stuff pretty quick. No, absolutely. If I had to say what the number one claim is that we've seen over the years for entertainers, that's by far been the number one claim is damage in transit. Wow. Okay, so let's, and this moves us right into the, the next group, personal auto insurance and that sort of thing. Because, and here, let me set up this scenario. My band, I've got four folks in my band, and we we each, sometimes we carpool to gigs, sometimes each individual drives themselves. And on a, in a couple instances, we all get into the van together and we go, you know, over to Seattle to play gigs out there. So in each of those situations, what's the appropriate type of insurance or liability? And because, because it's my band, I'm the, you know, and I own the company and I sure. pay these folks, basically. What's my exposure when it comes to this sort of stuff? When you're running a group under that, you know, in a more formal atmosphere like you, you are, and we have an LLC or we have a corporation, then your responsibilities are, are such that they're that of an employer. And so, you know, it's a much higher level of, of, ex, of responsibility or liability on your part uh, because in some sense of the word, you've got employees in that vehicle. Now, they might be subcontractors in the truest legal sense of the word, but there's definitely a higher level of, of liability or exposure to the owner of the company. And so that's generally when you want to make sure you're either adequately covered on your personal auto policy and also make sure, you know, what we would tell a customer is, if we're dealing with them on their commercial insurance and we don't handle their personal insurance, we'd say, again, you should always tell your, your agent what you're doing because that avoids the most uncomfortable situation is that you have to have that conversation when there's a claim because that's not the time to find out there's no coverage. Yeah. Most times that's as simple as just saying, hey, I need, I'm a musician. I go to performances um, on the weekends. I need to add a business usage on my vehicle that I'm using because then the company knows and they've been informed, hey, this is used in the course of business. And on most personal auto policies, that's fine. You brought up the scenario, which I think is a very common one from having family members that are in bands that uh, multiple people are in the car, not, not related to each other most of the time, and people take turns driving that's typically acceptable on a personal auto policy because that's permissive use of another driver 
you've given your permission to another driver to drive your vehicle, so you're okay. Mm-hmm. When that gets to be a regular occurrence, and I would say when we say regular, probably if you're on the road four weekends a month, most companies are going to come to you on the personal auto policy. And when I say come to you, this would only be if you had a long talk with your agent. If they knew what they're talking about, they should probably be saying, hey, I think we're going past what a personal auto policy uh, wants to cover or what my company will be comfortable with. And we need to look at a commercial auto policy and we need to list all the drivers on that commercial auto policy. Uh, you're, you're covered at a much higher level uh, than you are through a personal auto policy. My, I mean, ideally, you're, you have a nice working relationship with your agent so that they probably would know that, you know, if it's a small town or something like that, they probably know who you are if you're, if you're out there on a regular basis anyway. I treat all of my bandmates, we, I, as subcontractors, I just 1099 them at the end of the year, basically. Sure. So I suppose that shields me to a certain extent from some types of liability. But if we're at a performance and they get hurt, say that speaker cabinet falls over on top of them, or they fall off the stage or something like that, is that something that I need to worry about also? Not when you have a scenario where you're treating them as 1099 subcontracted employees. Here's an interesting fact. In most states, and the state you and I live in, Montana is one of them, there have been certain carve-outs or exceptions made to certain occupations uh, where it's just known that that occupation is a subcontractor, and they're not subject to some of the laws regarding subcontractors versus W-2 employees. In the state we live in, entertainers, journalists, interestingly enough, insurance agents fall under that carve out. So <laughs> welcome uh, to the party, pal. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, you know, companies hate paying benefits. Sure. So yeah, uh, it, I'm sure. So I guess newspapers were too in the day, but that gives you a little bit of protection there. I would say, you know, the one thing I always remind customers when we have this discussion specifically, and we're talking about injuries to employees is to remind them to keep in the back of your mind that, you're not always dealing with the employee in that situation. Sometimes you're dealing with the family of the employee if it's a serious enough injury. Right. That's when verbal contracts between you and your employee get pretty shaky. Mm-hmm. Um, because sometimes wives, mothers, fathers, brothers, sisters, children are not as understanding as to what your verbal contract was with that employee. And I know that sounds a little trivial, but um, we've had more than a few of those and and more in the construction trades. However, employer-employee relationships and those issues are pretty much universal across most businesses. And so in the car, I would say it's a much higher risk simply because probably the propensity for injury is, is there compared to, I mean, unless you have a heck of a stack of amps or speakers that you pushed over on that guy, mm-hmm. um, probably not going to get injured quite as bad at the performance as they may be in an auto accident. So right, right. I would say in the vehicle, the exposure is probably not as limited as, as it, a person would like it to be. At the performance, it probably is. Mm-hmm. If my drummer is carrying 
the bass amp from the car to our practice space and falls and breaks his leg. You know, I'd want him to be covered. I'd want, you know, I I I I I personally would feel kind of responsible because, you know, it's my base and my practice space and, you know, my thing. But and so I think that's partially from my own sense of responsibility. I would want to know that there was I don't know, something, you know, something some coverage for him if he didn't have his own health insurance sure. or something like yeah, that. Yeah, you bet. You bet. You don't, I mean, you never want to leave a friend or, you know, I, I think most of the time my experience is if we work with somebody for very long, they become an employee and a friend or at least someone we care about. And you don't, you never want to leave someone uncovered like that. I would say of all the coverages we're talking about, the auto insurance is the one least likely to be written on a commercial basis because most people end up just covering it under their personal auto use. I, I would say when we write somebody a commercial auto policy, most of the time it is because they have purchased a vehicle for the band or whatever entertainment act they are doing and have put it in the name of their corporation or the LLC, which when you do that in and of itself requires that you put it on a commercial auto policy because personal auto policies are not intended to insure anything under the, other than a person. They're not, they're not able to insure a corporation or an LLC. So that's usually when we have this um, solid step towards commercial insurance is when somebody says, okay, we're getting a, we're getting a band bus mm -hmm. or a band van and we're putting it in the name of our company and boom, then we've usually created the situation where we really, they have to insure that under a commercial auto policy. Right. And I would say that is one thing people need to be aware of because that is a situation we run into many times where they've insured that with their personal auto agent. And if there were ever a claim on that, again, you're in danger of the claim being denied because the company could say you weren't insuring it correctly. Mm -hmm. Here, here's another interesting wrinkle that's cropped up in the last, I'd say, 15 to 20 years, is that as these cargo trailers have become more popular, and some of our um, some of our clients have picked those up, uh, say to store all their instruments in, and if uh, has happened several times, the band goes down to the bank and they get the loan as a group or through the entity they created. And the bank requires insurance on that trailer. Um, that's another time that it requires a commercial auto policy be purchased uh, because you need to insure the trailer, and you can't insure a trailer without it being on a commercial auto policy. Uh, the unfortunate thing is that always requires that some sort of vehicle be on there with the trailer. So, okay, so Toby, I think we've covered pretty much everything up to the point of performances and just in general. As a performer, we've got gear and I've got financial responsibilities and a certain amount of, uh, I guess, liability. So what do I need? What's the overarching uh, policy that I, th that I think I should have just to protect myself? Well, this, this typically falls under um, the category, which is a pretty broad category of general liability. This is always somewhat of a loaded question because people will call us um, per performing artists or really applies to any business category, but people go, well, I need liability. And so then you really have to dig through that and say, so what do we need liability for? So general liability is a broad coverage that companies buy 
in that co- in the in that coverage that covers your business both at your office if you were to rent a office or if it's just run out of your house but if you were say to go say you were doing a wedding for somebody and you go and you meet with the people and if you accidentally tripped one of the people at your meeting and they got hurt your liability would cover that if you're then performing at the wedding or the other performance and your mic stand falls over and bonks somebody on the head you're covered for that Mm. um it can cover things that you wouldn't normally think about and that is there are a a a set of um subcategories under your general liability coverage one of them for instance is fire damage uh you know this this got a lot of coverage um, a number of years ago when an old rock and roll band was putting on a concert and they lit off a fireworks inside a venue and it caught the venue on fire. And I mean, there were literally people that died from that. And, and so, you know, it sure. can extend to some coverages or events that you wouldn't typically think would happen. However, for most of our people that are doing, you know, not getting wild with pyrotechnics and things like that, um, that that general liability does have in it um, damage to the premise which you're leasing or renting, um, which could cover you even if, say, Mm. you're not technically leasing the coverage, but you're just performing in the venue. So um, I I have had, uh, we had a customer's, uh, power cord uh, short out and burned a carpet up and it was about $3,000 worth of damage and that was covered under their general liability coverage. The reason I say that's a real broad classification because there are other coverages associated with that that you can purchase such as like event cancellation coverage. So say not only are you the performer but you're also promoting the event and it's going to be held outside, and you're concerned with, you know, potentially uh, the weather shutting your event down. We have sold insurance to people like that that uh, that covers them okay. if a certain number of inches of rain fall and you have to cancel your event. It covers all your production costs. So that gets to be a pretty broad classification. But most of our people, especially, I think. Um, when I think of our professional musicians who are mostly being paid to perform the general liability, just, it it just follows you around. And this is what people don't realize sometimes is that general liability coverage really follows you around wherever you're going and provides protection for you. If you were to injure someone or property in the course of your doing business. Okay. Um, and I just want to pitch a couple of kind of specific things. If you're traveling overseas or maybe even uh, to Canada or Mexico, say you've got gigs down there, would the general liability cover that? Or is that something you probably want to talk to your agent about to make sure that you've got coverage? Yeah, you would definitely want to talk to your agent to make sure you have coverage for that because we've covered events in all those countries plus England and over in Europe. And that that is a specific additional coverage that has to be purchased and you're going to find a lot of agents you know the one thing i would caution anybody listening to this about and this happens every week at our office is people call us and say hey i know you can't insure this because my agent said it's not insurable but this is what i'm trying to do and i can tell you that 99 percent of the time 
it actually is insurable. Unfortunately, some people some people have an tendency, unfortunately, if they haven't run into it or they haven't done it, they think it's something that can't be done. So, you know, it's it's very doubtful that you're doing something that somebody else hasn't done and that's been addressed before. But you definitely would always want to uh, question your agent on one on on an event like that that's going to happen outside the United States because it normally is something that has to be added to your policy. And once in a while, you have to go purchase a special policy for that. What about state to state? Because I know that, like my band, we perform in several states. Am I still covered if I'm within the you know continental U.S.? Yeah, yeah. So, so um, first of all, again, just like your last question, it's always an excellent idea. When in doubt, ask your agent. Because like I always tell people, if your agent tells you it's covered, this is why emails work better than phone calls. If the agent says it's covered, it's covered, mm. whether it's on your policy or the agent's policy. But I I have yet to see or run into a liability policy for a musician that doesn't cover at a minimum the forty eight lower forty eight contiguous states. Right. That's that's just general that is a given generally with uh, commercial liability policies. It's always a good idea, though, because in certain industries, some companies do exclude certain states because those states will have laws that they don't like. Mm. However, I have never run into that with uh, musicians. Okay. Well, this kind of folds up nicely towards, and I just have a, cu- a couple more things I wanted to ask you. And these are just a little more broad type questions. But one of them is, is, uh, and I'll spell them out now so that you know what's coming. I want to ask you basically about the cost-benefit analysis of insurance. And I want you maybe to help us better understand what to look for when we go to f- try and find a specific agent in your, you know, without naming names, you know, things, uh, lessons you've learned or suggestions you'd give and then also just in general since you you know the other side of this equation you know just general advice that you would give a musician but let's let's go back to that to that first one what is the the cost benefit of the insurance let's say i've got a thousand dollar guitar and i'm playing gigs and i'm making two hundred dollars a gig you know how much insurance should i really have and what's what's the balance the cost benefit analysis when that you that you run down when it comes to purchasing or suggesting insurance Sure, and I, I think that's a great place to start is with the property coverage because this is this is uh, this is a great example of what you just said because we'll have it happen a lot of times that people will call us and they want that coverage on their guitar and so here's the first thing we run into and that is any more the cost of insurance that a lot of people run into on the commercial side especially when we're talking small business is they run into something called the minimum premium. And the minimum premium simply means that the insurance company, whoever you're dealing with, has just sat down and they've said, look, for whatever reason, I mean, they've got their accountants working overtime on these things. We will not write a policy under a certain amount of money, right? I mean, and and $500 has really gotten to be sort of the lower bar on that minimum premium, especially in the area of uh, property coverage. And so many, many times people have come to us and said, look, I've got this, these musical instruments and my equipment that we want to insure. And we start talking about it and they only have like 
1500 or $2,000. <clears> and then, you know, you got to say, well, you're going to spend 25% of that cost every year just purchasing that policy. So, you know, in my mind, when it gets to be much over 10%, it gets to be, in my mind, iffy, but here's what I would say about the cost analysis of that is that I have learned through 25 years of insurance that I can't tell people what's cost efficient. People have different valuations on that for themselves. Oh, sure. And so here's, yeah. here's the valuation I've come up with is if we don't insure your musical equipment, are you going to be able to sleep at night or can you not sleep at night? And so... I will have people that would gladly pay $500 to insure $2,000 worth of equipment because they can then sleep at night and not stress out about it. I have other people who have $20,000 worth of equipment and spending the $500 keeps them up at night. And right. so maybe I'm a little more holistic about looking at this saying, hey, this has to work into your overall um, well-being and, and mental health. And really, when you get to the bottom of it, that's why we do buy insurance. Many times it's to satisfy a bank or, or a lender of some kind that says, hey, we will not give you the money unless you insure these things that we're lending you money on. Mm -hmm. But other than that, it's usually so people have a peace, have peace of mind. And so uh, that's when I lay out their form. But I would, you know, in my mind, if I have a hard time when somebody's spending more than 10% of the value of what it is they're trying to insure. I mean, in my mind, I think generally, if a person's getting to the 10% of the valuation of that, I think it's starting to get out of hand. However, again, if you have that inland marine coverage for covering that musical instrument or equipment while you're on the road, I think most musicians, and this would go for whether or not, I mean, I, I, I run into the same thing with traveling salesmen, businessmen of any kind that travel on the road. Traveling just does increase your risk factor for, an, for a loss. Mm -hmm. And so a lot of people would pay more than, say, your musician that doesn't ever travel outside the city um, where they live. It, they just accept that as, hey, this is a higher cost, but it's I'm exposed to these things. Right. And, and so and it comes also down to ease of replacement. If you don't right. if you aren't sitting sticking the ten percent aside or twenty percent aside a year for replacement cost, you might want to think about getting insurance then. Because if you're you know, if you if you just don't have the ability to go out and invest in the instruments again. And then, you know, for some people it's there's a lot of sentimental attachment to specific musical instruments that you can't put a value on. I mean, if I have my guitar and it's worth the book on it is worth a thousand bucks, but it but it has great sentimental value to me. Is that something that you can insure? Like, oh, I know it's only worth a thousand, but I want to insure it for five thousand. That's a very good question. And generally, what I tell people is, look, you need to tie it to the actual valuation of that instrument, and and this goes for any kind of property because you're exactly right. The insurance company will not insure the sentimental value of that item. Okay. That's where I would suggest to my customer, hey, I know this $1,000 guitar is your favorite one to play, but I would question whether we want to take it out of the house if it has that much sentimental value to oh, you. Yes, because yeah. it just, you're, and again, this goes back to your peace of mind, right? And so uh, that's something people just, sometimes you can't, Insurance is intended to put to make you whole again, 
But we all know there are certain things you just can't replace, and, and the sentimental value on something like that would be definitely one of them. I think you bring up a very good point. What I say to people all the time, and it doesn't matter whether we're talking guitars, musical instrumentation, or somebody's car, people are always asking me, well, do you think it's worth it after I just quoted them to, ins- to insure this item, wherever, whatever we're talking about? And, and my response can only be this, is that let's pretend we're sitting there the day after that item was destroyed, stolen, whatever. You no longer have it. Can you pull the money out of your pocket to replace it? Is that going to be an option? And I think that's also, because you brought up that point, that's also one of the things a person should really think about is, okay, I know I'm going to tell myself the $500 is too much to spend, and I could put that away. But am I going to put it away? And I think it's always important to know yourself. And if it's much better for you to pay the $500 because you're never going to put that money away, then I think you answer your own questions there, right? Increasingly, for children's musicians, or I can't speak to other musicians, but in our genre, I know, the general liability is a requirement for some gigs now. They require that for you to get into, if you're going to go into schools. I mean, there's sometimes there's FBI background checks or police background checks, but also insurance is becoming more and more uh, required. When a musician steps up to purchase just the general liability, what about what, what would you say about the, the, the valuation of that then? Well... I I would submit that if you're someone who's just starting to run into these requirements, then there's a very good likelihood you live someplace like you and I do in in uh, rural, even though I know where we live is considered for our state to be populated, we're really still small, right? Mm-hmm. But I think it's become the way of the world in more in all the larger urban areas in the United States. And it's slowly but surely, like everything else, filtering down to every town. And so uh, it's not questioned in a lot of places because it's been the way of doing business now for 30 years. And so I know in your area and my area, it's just now starting to kick in in the last five, six years. And I have people coming in and, and going, I can't believe I'm being required to carry this. And you never know what to say to them because you're like, well... You know, if you were in Seattle, yeah, they would have wanted that like 20 years ago, man. <laughs> I mean, yeah. it just, it's just, civilization has hit us or is starting to hit us. So I don't know what to tell you, but it, it, it's not rocket science or it's not from another world. It's just the way of doing business. And so I, you know, when we, we've talked about all these insurances, general liability is by far and away the most common one that we sell to people first. Mm-hmm. Because it's usually the one you need to be able to go do anything. And so, uh, you know, I think if you go do a trade show, they want help, uh, they want general liability insurance. Like you say, if you go use, you know, we give them to people. We, we, we have to issue them for customers who are using a school at night and, and maybe aren't even paying anything. Um, that's not very common anymore, but... But the one thing the school definitely wants is that certificate of insurance showing that they've got liability coverage. So it's just something I I would submit general liability insurance is unavoidable these days uh, unless you've taken some extraordinary steps to to not somehow evade it. So this goes into I I always feel fortunate that we ran into you as our agent uh, for our business and for our personal uh, for a personal side of our life as well. But. How would what what 
would you suggest? Okay, so now there's all these tens of thousands of children's musicians out sure. there hanging on our every word. And so, Toby, when they go to try and find an agent, what are two or three things that you'd say, well, this is what I would look for. This would probably suit your needs better than, than not. So here would always be my recommendation, right? Other than the self-serving one of always call me, but that's not really <laughs> what I want to say. <laughs> I always do. What do you want? <laughs> what more do you want, Toby? Yeah. 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 I mean, isn't this what? This wasn't about self-promotion? No. Here's here here would be some general guidelines that I would offer to people. Number one, I know the tendency is to call the biggest agency in your area, and I would I would strongly urge them not to. First, I mean, go ahead and call them, but here's what you need to understand about large insurance agencies, and I'm talking about the ones with ten, twenty, thirty agents. Those people only get paid on large accounts. So if, unless you think you're going to be buying a lot of insurance, you know, people are always, they can't figure out why they called in about a $500 policy and kind of got ignored. And so, you know, insurance agents in general are paid on a commission between 8 and 15% of the policy premium. So you need to take a second, work that backwards and go, okay, so... Yeah, I'd probably it'd be nice to talk to the most successful, highest-powered insurance agent that's in my town, but he maybe isn't selling these types of policies. It has nothing to do – you can still get a very competent agent, but I would suggest that they always go online. I'm an independent agent slash broker. I would always suggest you look for an independent agent or broker um, who deals with multiple companies because – the companies that write most of this insurance are not the Allstate, State Farms, the ones you see on TV. They're going to be companies you've never heard of. That's the world of insurance. It's the third largest industry in the United States. There's thousands of companies you've never heard of that are huge, huge companies and are very stable and very reputable. And so the best way to access those companies is through an independent agent or broker. The next thing I would say, and I always say this to people, if you tell the agent what you want and it sounds like they've never heard it before, they maybe are not the best fit for you. Now, it doesn't mean it could be you're just talking to somebody in that office who hasn't dealt with it and they're going to get you to the right person. But um, I'm amazed the number of times I talk to people and, and you know they had three or four conversations with this agent and the agent doesn't seem to know really what it is they need that should always be a warning sign to you that you need to get to a different agent. Um, you know, you can check the internet. Uh, once in a while, I will say the internet will have specialized programs that will fit your needs. Uh, but for every person that we get that went to a large agency and was ignored, we get a person that tried to do it online and never got a response. So, you know, I, I don't want to poo-ha the internet. It's, it's definitely changing our lives. But it is always something to check out. Um, however, absent that, I think what you're better to do on the internet is Google search that coverage. And if there's agencies that are interested in selling it, a lot of times they're going to come up on your internet search. Oh, so kind of go about it the other way. Type yeah. Google search uh, musician looking for insurance to protect gear. And that those keywords will probably be plenty to, to offer you lots of, of uh, suggestions. Yep, absolutely. But I would always suggest people try that 
after they've checked out their local resources. And here's the only reason I say that is from someone who has spent thousands of dollars on the internet for advertising our agency, you will find that the insurance industry is like the third or fourth most expensive industry on the internet for paying for advertising. Mm -hmm. So you might have a very competent local agent selling this stuff who can't afford to get on anything about except for the 10th page of Google, or they may not have just don't have the resources to be out there on the internet. I, I think people need to remember the internet's gone from something that was a, it's still an amazing resource. However, it's more and more like so many things in life becoming the visibility is available to those who can pay for the visibility. So, but that being said, it's still a great place to ferret out um, potential programs that are out there for musicians. Yeah, right on. Any final suggestions or thoughts um, having insured musicians and, and, and folks around that you would say, the, the selecting of the agent I think was very critical, but when they, came into your, if the, when they came into your office, the first three questions you would ask them other than like, what kind of insurance do you have? Is there any final suggestions that you might kick out there? Well, no, only that, only that I, I would always make sure that, you know, look at what you're purchasing, make sure you're comfortable with that, because if you're not comfortable with the prices you're getting, you're not going to keep it in force. And the one insurance that's never any good is the one that you had to let go because you couldn't pay for it. And so that's always my number one suggestion to people is, hey, and I know it's tough. Business is tough. Cash flow is tough. But look at what you think you're reasonably going to be able to do. And sometimes if you wanted the Cadillac, but you had to step back to the Chevy, it's better to have the Chevy than have nothing at all, right? And so I think the one issue we run into most often is people wanting coverages that they would like, but that they're not willing to pay for. So so I would just say, get with your agent. Don't ever... Don't ever hesitate when they get you the quote back to pull apart that quote. Make the agent pull that thing apart if he can and say, hey, I really would like all these coverages. It's just more than I can pay. What What are the, you know, here's the bare bone things I need. I got to have liability. I've got this one instrument I got to insure or something like that. And then try to, sometimes you have to just don't, you know, you, when you get that quote, too many people just look at the quote and go, nope, not interested. When, if we can work with them, we can get them covered by possibly not. Maybe we're not going to give them all the coverages they want the first time. But as they get more successful, they know that coverage is sitting there and they can add it. And so that would be my only advice to people is just that and uh, go have fun, man. Yeah, that's good advice all the way around. Hey, Toby, thank you so much for your time. I totally appreciate this. Um, you know, I've worked with you for, for years, uh, and we really we trust you. We value the, the work that you do. Fortunately, we haven't had to use you on the back end as far as, you know, filing claims that much, which is, that's always the best. The best insurance is the insurance you never have to use, I think. Absolutely. Uh, you purchase it and then just you like say, well, that was just something I, I was safe. But, um, but I totally value your time and uh, your, your wisdom in sharing that with the crowd today. Well, thank you very much. I appreciate you having me on, Andy. There we go. Really cool conversation with Toby Henson, my local guy. I'm so uh, appreciative of him coming on the podcast 
explaining insurance to all of us because good gravy sounds like it's something we need if you don't have you should probably get it and if you don't have it and you need it you're gonna wish you had <laughs> but also don't be afraid to um you know talk to your agent search around do you know what there's nothing that i can say at this point that will improve this podcast and I think that it's an important part. It's an important distinction. I'm going to stand up while I say this. Actually, I'm not going to stay in my seat. But it's important to know when to stop. Let's sing a song about how we're all the same. How we all Can we roll the credits now? Please? <sighs> Barn Banter with Cowboy Andy, a podcast for children's musicians by an inept podcaster. Hey, happy 2020, if you're listening to this in 2020. And roll the credits already. Oh, here they, here they come. Yay. All right. So stay tuned. We've got more stuff coming. Great episodes. If you want to get on the podcast, you just let me know. And then we can have more fun. And you can buy me coffee. And we can talk. And we can play guitar together. It'll be really cool. Go!